0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh.
1: Footcandle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Footcandle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Ready to talk about some movies? Absolutely. We've got quite a bit to talk about today. This is the show here on the TheMesh.TV, where we talk about films, movies, we review a few, we share some movie news, we talk about some online recommendations you ought to check out, all in a nice little television type show format except you just can't see us that's really the only difference right and we're
2: doing you a favor with that
1: yeah so. exactly it's, it was a conscious effort to make this audio only even right. audio only is a stretch because you and i not trained audio professionals this is true. by any stretch of the imagination for either of us so unfortunately there's just no other medium for us to explore and use because <laughs> we're not the best writers we're you know We're stuck with the talents we have, Chris. We can talk. We can talk at least. So (laughs) you get to hear us talk. Thanks for tuning in today. We got a lot of films to talk about, Chris. First off, we're going to talk about the latest blockbuster film, or maybe maybe it's not a blockbuster film. I don't know. Noah, I'm waiting to hear you talk about that because it's going to be a one-sided review. I have not seen it. You have. Correct. Then we're going to turn the tables, and we're going to talk about Captain America, The Winter Soldier, because I have seen that one. You have not. Sounds like a plan. Then we come together in a grand (laughs) finale, the trilogy of film reviews today, as we talk about the documentary Tim's Vermeer, which we both have seen. Correct. So So, there you go. I hope everybody's able to follow along with that that scheme (laughs) as we go. Then we're going to move on to some movie news, which really is going to be us recapping a few more films that we saw during the River Run Film Festival last weekend. Mm -hmm. Some ones that may be creeping into movie theaters or at least uh, video on demand maybe in the coming months. And then we're going to wrap it up with our online film recommendation. Uh, movies, films that you, we think you ought to check out that hopefully you'll have a chance to find through Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or iTunes or whatever it may be. Okay? Sounds. Chris, are you ready?
2: I am. Let's, Let's get it. this
1: show on the road. With our first review of the latest Darren Aronofsky film starring Russell Crowe, the film is Noah.
2: Noah. What did he say? He's going to destroy the world.
0: My father said that one day, if man continued in his way, the Creator would annihilate this world. Can it not be averted? He speaks to you. You must trust that he speaks in a way that you can understand. I saw water. Death by water. I saw new life.
1: Chris, as I look at all of the material and all of the story surrounding Darren Aronofsky's latest film, Noah. I'm intrigued beyond belief for a lot of reasons. One, I think Darren Aronofsky is a very interesting film director. I'm a unabashed fan of the wrestler. I liked black Swan quite a bit. Okay. Um, I even liked his first film pie a lot. The only one of his filmography I have not seen is the fountain. Okay. So let's just go ahead and put that out. there. I have seen it. Okay. I am a somewhat of a pretty big Russell Crowe fan when it comes to Bigger, epic films. I think Gladiator, I'm one of those guys that does not think Gladiator is overrated. I really honestly like that film, and I like Russell Crowe's performance in it. He's got the kind of presence on screen that I generally find myself drawn to wanting to watch him perform. Okay. So Darren Aronofsky working on a bigger budget scale epic than maybe he's been used to doing. Definitely bigger than his last couple films, Black Swan and The Wrestler. Sure. You got Russell Crowe in the mix, looking very -er, gladiator-ish in a way. And you're taking a biblical tale of Noah um, and the Ark, and you're turning it into more of a, what seems to be a more grounded-in-reality possible, maybe grittier, grimier version of it. So all that, very intriguing. Hmm. But I also see a possible recipe for disaster. So Chris, tell me, should I go out and see this film Which one of my gut feels should I take? The ambitious, this sounds exciting, or it's going to be a disaster?
2: Okay, well, there's a lot, you know, as with anything, there is some middle ground there. Oh,
1: you can't do middle ground there, Chris. You got to go one or the other.
2: The film is not a disaster. (laughs) Okay, all right. The film is not a disaster, but you also asked, is it ambitious? Yes. Okay. And this, the film, the acting, I mean, you mentioned it, you know, Russell Crowe, he's good. If you like Russell Crowe, you'll enjoy watching the movie because he is really good in the movie. Okay. He's got supporting from Jennifer Connelly, plays his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Winstone plays like his nemesis. He's a bad guy okay. in the movie. He plays that role. Um, and Anthony Hopkins plays kind of a strange grandfather role. <laughs> it's it's,
1: it's uh, Noah's dad. Right.
2: Uh, actually, I think it's his granddad. If really? I under Yeah, Ooh. it's kind of funky chronology okay. stuff. He plays Methuselah, who is like one of the oldest people supposedly ever around and is mentioned in the I Bible. See. Sure.
1: understand. So it. anyways,
2: um, so acting good. Um, as you can imagine, throw a lot of money at a movie. The effects are spectacular. Not just the water, but the use of animals. I think, according to what I've heard online, I don't think they used any animals at all. They were mm. all digital, which, you know, to try to get like tigers right behind deer. Yes. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: <laughs> so a lot of training involved.
2: Right. But it was, I thought they were very realistic. You know, they looked very realistic. They didn't try to make them do cute or stupid things. They just, mm. they were there. They served a pr- purpose. So okay. I thought they were good. Um, something, but here's where we cross into ambition, making things strange. And it's, um, for those of you who have seen The Fountain, that was kind of an odd movie of yeah, his. Right. Um, this has a little bit of a left curveball, I guess you could say, in it, um, which surprised me. I didn't know anything about it, um, and it doesn't ruin anything for you who haven't seen it because it's in the first like five minutes. Basically, there are rock transformers.
1: <laughs> yes, I've heard <laughs> in of in the these. movie. Yeah,
2: um, and that's the best way to describe them. What they are is they are angels that have fallen down and. They have taken the form of transforming rock shapes, mm-hmm. and they are supposedly supposed to help humans get back right with God or the superior being, I think is how it's actually referred to in the in the movie. But anyways, that's kind of their role. So they're okay. kind of not guardians of humans because they don't protect them, but they're supposed to urge them to kind of do the right thing or whatever. That was a very strange Detour for this yeah, movie to take I can imagine. Um, it sounds so like admire, just describing it. Yeah. I admire Aronofsky for saying, okay I want to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it how I want to tell it because mm-hmm. right off, you know Are rock transformers in the bible? Not any bible that i've read. I'm sure yeah. they may be out there somewhere Sure um, So that was an interesting kind of just throwing out whatever and just kind of taking the bare text of the story which is like all three pages in the bible and turning it into like a two-hour-plus epic. Hmm. Where I think the movie it, – it was one of my most anticipated movies of was it 2014. Really? It okay. was Darren Aronofsky, yeah. him doing this big scale, and I was like, oh, okay, I have read the story of Noah. I, I know about that. I'd be interested to see what he's going to do with it. Disappointed, and it's not because it's a bad movie, but I feel that in the end what kind of ended up happening was – the spectacle of it all, which, you know, it's about a flood and it's mm-hmm. kind of what you have to do to make the story of Noah. You want to show a flood. You want to show this big commotion, this big you know mm-hmm. spectacle of special right. effects that conflicted with what was actually going on in the movie, which was Noah struggling with what he thought he should do. And he comes to blows with his family Hmm. and it kind of, you know, he's wanting to do the right thing, but sometimes it's a story about kind of like being driven and motivations behind being driven. And sometimes you can go too far. I see. And that was a very powerful message, which, you know, i would never, and that's something I think he kind of just introduced into the story and you never, I mean, people being flawed, yes, that's mentioned in the Bible, but it was just very interesting to see Noah as this flawed figure who's mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing, but has made some mistakes. So that was a very interesting so
1: interpretation. Sounds, yeah. So it sounds like the big issue you've got is that it, it was split between spectacle. Absolutely. In a very powerful, more personal family drama.
2: Yes. A family drama. And I think if he had chosen to do one or the other, okay. if he had chosen to do the spectacle route and just, you know, had it be very surface with It'd the whole be a family. Michael dynamic, Bay's
1: Noah. But it
2: probably would have been very good and well handled because, you know, Darren Aronofsky, if he had chosen to do kind of the intense family drama and keep Mm -hmm. it centered on that, I think he would have been a lot more successful instead. And
1: downplay the spectacle a little bit
2: more. Right. Instead, combining the two, neither wins out,
1: in Mm, my opinion. It was a very uneven uh, film from that end, I guess. And
2: and unfortunately, it makes it uneven. And unfortunately, I think the moviegoers who are going to see this movie are expecting just a spectacle because, I you know, see. it's the story of Noah. You're expecting like big waves and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it has that, but then there are also very plodding, methodical you know, passages in the movie that will bore those coming to see a spectacle. Likewise, those that go for the intense family drama, they're going to kind of feel left out too. Well, going
1: so. back to the core though, I mean, this is sure. a story based on the Bible. Right. How does it work or not work? As a in the religious text, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not asking for any personal opinions on the story itself, how it's presented in the Bible. I'm saying more of if somebody is looking for this to be a direct representation Absolutely. of a Bible story, They're it's not be, going that route. No, no. So this isn't something where somebody's going to come out feeling like it's a very religious heavy film. No. Okay. No. But, That's true. But it, is it offensive to those who are uh, taken with the text?
2: Um, I, I don't, you know, that's a hard question to answer. I, I wouldn't think, I think the only way it would be offensive is if they're disappointed because they wanted to see something that was word for word instance for yeah, instance right. from the Bible and then they would be disappointed. I don't think, I think, I think it is a respectful
1: film. Okay. I don't that's think a good it way of is. Putting it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I don't think it's, um, blasphemous or anything, but so it,
1: people shouldn't be upset necessarily by the way it's handling the material. Like sometimes, you know, Think about
2: uh, like Last Temptation, uh, Last Temptation of
1: Christ, Christ yeah, whereas taking the, the the story and putting a different perspective on it that could be offensive to people. Sure, this did not seem like it did. It just went very. It took a short story, expanded it to a two hour epic, but it also didn't go completely heavy religious. But it also didn't become offensive either. Right. Uh, it
2: basically just took an idea from the bible you know Mm -hmm. instead of being based on i don't know if it's if you remove that and say well it was inspired by maybe you would say it was inspired by the story of noah as opposed to base because that makes it maybe sound like it's a little bit more taking a lot directly from the story okay good but um i will say something that i found interesting it's kind of like making you rethink the way you've heard the story or as Mm. a child if you heard this story then you probably maybe didn't think about, "Oh, okay, so how was exactly the ark built?" or mm-hmm. um, how did the animals not all kill each other? And I yeah. think I've heard people joke about that. And in this movie, they actually, those are little touches that he puts in there, basically the rock transformer angels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they help build the ark, which that makes sense because there are these giant rock creatures who are very strong. And who decide they want to help Noah, who, you know, he has basically dreams that tell him that there's going to be this huge flood and lots of people are going to die, but the world is going to kind of start over again.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so he tells the rock creatures this and they're like, okay, we're going to help you. And so this you know, <laughs> army of rock transformer things help him build the ark. But they, in the context of the story, it kind of makes sense as opposed to just Noah and his three sons building this gigantic yeah, ark.
1: Sure. You
2: know? Yeah, sure. So, yeah. I. In the context of the movie, right. I'm having to
1: I'm having to think through this whole rock transformer thing. Sure. I mean, great. I don't. I haven't seen these. I don't know what <laughs> we're talking about. Sure. It's a little surprising to hear because you're not the first person who has made that be the first comment that you say about the film. We'll be just like. At, I mean, it's you know, not
2: ruining anything if you go to see the movie. It's in the first
1: five minutes. Yeah. You're like, whoa, okay. Two other people <laughs> I talked to that have seen this film, the very first thing they said when I asked them how was it, it's like, well. There are these giant rock things. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. you know, it just kind of jumps out at you, and it's very unexpected. So, yeah. when well,
2: I think, I think if you know, if you're interested in Iranoftzi's work, you like Russell Crowe, don't go in expecting the story of Noah. Just go in and expecting an interesting movie, and I don't think you'll be disappointed per okay. se. Well, um, I'll say the other, you know, they it touches on like it the animals how they kept them under control. They basically had like incense or something that basically put the animals to sleep. So mm. it was little touches like that, that they bothered to try to kind of mention, which I thought was interesting.
1: Wow. Well, so it's, you it's kind of sound like you're a generally positive review, although not terribly I'm, positive. I'm,
2: I'm, I'm a, I'm a positive review, but not a glowing review. Okay. You know, if we're doing the whole letterbox, they give you five stars. I'd probably say a three. Okay. it's um, not bad. And I think, I think I may, you know how I am, sometimes contrarian, often. But um, I feel like this may be this summer's The Lone Ranger. It's like people want to pile on. That had a huge budget. Mm-hmm. It had stars in it. it. had, you know, Johnny Depp. You know, Bruckheimer was director, I think, on that, or was a production? Of he his. was a producer. Okay.
1: Yeah, it was uh, Gore Verbinski. Verbinski, who directed yeah, the it, yeah. Pirates mm-hmm. guy.
2: Yep. So, you know, that came out, and then people just loved to pile on it. And I remember you and I saying, you know? it was okay it's not that
1: bad no, Yeah, it was, okay. it was okay so your review is Noah it's not that bad right, <laughs> <laughs> right. okay good that's one for the poster right. yeah I mean
2: they can quote me they can put me on the Criterion
1: Collection uh, good DVD deal. box well let's go ahead and move on to our second review which is the film Captain America The Winter Soldier
0: I joined S.H.I.E.L.D. to protect people Captain to, to build a better world sometimes means tearing the old one down and that makes enemies are you ready for the world to see you as you really are look out the window you know how the game works disorder war all it takes is one step
2: alan captain america yes the winter soldier yes uh not captain america 2
1: Nope. But they kept it with. But the character. whole numbers thing is so overplayed That's now. So you got to have a subtitle. <laughs> yeah. So. Because the first one was Captain America, the first Avenger.
2: Ah. So well, at least see? they had first. They let you know it was the first That's movie. That's right. Now, this is the Winter Soldier.
1: <laughs> got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. In this movie,
2: Steve Rogers, which we all know is Captain America, especially yes. if you saw the first movie, it's. The description in IMDB says that he is struggling to embrace his role in the modern world and yeah. battles
1: a new threat from old history. You can skip all that. It, oh, yeah? It's basically, yeah. This is basically yeah, it's it's a continuation of Captain America's story. So yeah, you can go through the whole little summary thing. It doesn't tell you anything. It's okay. It's a big action blockbuster movie, so yeah.
2: Okay. That being said, mm-hmm. mid action blockbuster yes. movie. Do you feel like—I remember being impressed with the first Captain America. Yes. I mean, I knew they were kind of setting up the Avengers movie, and you know, all they're doing is giving each hero their movie. And now they're doing this again, where they're setting up the second Avengers movie by giving us the second Thor movie. They've given us the third Iron Man movie. Now here comes Captain America with his second movie. Yes. But— Is there more value to it than just setting up the Avengers movie? I mean, you say it's just a big blockbuster. Well, and I say that kind
1: of tongue. I mean, yes, it, it is a big action movie. I enjoyed it. Okay. I generally liked it, but that's also because I'm probably in that key demographic where I'm tailored to make this like this film as it is. Okay. This film does have a lot more going for it than your typical run of the mill special effects, big action movie. Okay. But not as much as the first Captain America movie did. Where the first one had some charm, the nostalgia, I think the whole time period that a lot of it was set in, really made it unique in the field of big blockbuster movies. This one doesn't have that uniqueness. It is modern day. It is a big, a lot of big set pieces, a lot of big flying ships and special effects and action Mm. scenes. It's still good. Okay. And there are a few elements that really help elevate this higher than the run of the mill stuff but my review is not as glowing as you and I both had about the first one because I really like that first Captain America movie as well. Okay. It's still one of my favorite Marvel movies in this whole universe of movies they're making. This one takes a step down because it becomes very by the books, I think, in a way. I've got,
2: I've got a question about that. Sure, um, I've heard that or from the trailer as opposed to the first movie and as opposed to what I think about a lot of the Marvel comic book movies – it looks dark and it's interesting because Thor was the dark world. And so it was like this, this tone of kind of darkness is, is, does that play out in the winter soldier? Or uh, a no? little bit. Okay. I'd
1: say it's a more, it's definitely more of a violent movie. I will say that. Okay. So not to Violence say that it's there. not yeah. to say that it's a hard rated R movie type of thing. It's still PG 13, but it sure. is a lot more gunplay, a lot more shooting, a lot more people getting hurt than maybe we've seen in a few of these films uh, recently. So maybe from that standpoint, it's a little of the darkness. There is a overriding plot storyline that has to do with something from Captain America's past. Okay. Coming back to haunt him. Uh, a little bit of a mystery to it. Uh, for people who are familiar with the original comic book text, you'll know exactly where the storyline's going. If you're not, it is, I think, a little bit of a surprise it's, uh, along the way. Sure. Uh, I kind of wish I didn't know the story going in. I probably would have enjoyed it even more. That being said, it's just... It's bigger, it's louder, it's a lot more effects-driven than I would have liked for it to. It has a certain tone to it that I really was was, was really in, enjoying. Hmm. More of a 70s political intrigue type of feel to it, That's which intri- was really good. That's interesting. Yeah. I've heard, would you agree, I've heard somebody, I saw a review online,
2: that compared this to like Captain America, Jason Bourne movie. It was like a Bourne movie. It's definitely
1: in. more of that style. Okay. But by the end, it turns into a giant big big (laughs) fight scene with giant flying ships and everything like that. So I wish it could have kept that smaller political intrigue tone going longer. But that being said, I mean, it's a Marvel superhero movie. It is to lead into other films. Although I felt like this one did a pretty good job of continuing his story. It hinted at the Avengers stuff a little bit. OK, um, obviously, some of the characters still carried over from the other films. But this one had a its own story. It does end on somewhat of a cliffhanger, but it's not necessarily a cliffhanger going to another set of movies. It's really a cliffhanger for the next Captain America movie. So, weird. Yeah, I know it was a little abrupt where it ended. I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's the it it end of the
2: credits. Was there a.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of their typical credit scenes, which won't mean much of anything to anybody who's not a geek. <laughs> um on these types of films so okay. i hate to say it but you know because i'm in a fan of what marvel's doing with their whole cinematic universe mm-hmm. this is the one where i enjoyed the film but by the end of the film i'm starting to feel a little fatigue from it all um, you think that's because the type of battle sequences or it's maybe the battle sequences is maybe the fact that everything's kind of coming all mapped together so much that you don't ever get a full complete story You are getting a part of a story. Although this one, I at least feel like had enough of a beginning, middle, end to be a standalone film. It's still, you just don't get a complete satisfaction of the film because now you got to wait for the next film. Okay. Okay, When the next film comes out, okay, now there's another film. Hmm. It's, I think it's the reason why people make trilogies. Right. Because it's kind of like, we want to do three films. By the end of the third film, we're done. The storyline's done. Marvel has done nine films now. And they've already mapped out their films. Iron Man is
2: done, right? After they did the third one? I don't know. Maybe. Um, I'm wondering if each individual character is only going to get three movies of their own.
1: I don't know. Maybe. But unfortunately, because they're also interwoven, it's not really three films. It's your three films plus the Avengers film, plus these other films. Right, gotcha. They've made nine, I think, so far, and they've got films mapped all the way out to 2028 already on the release schedule whoa so they've got this huge big picture which is great i really applaud them for doing it it's just this is the first movie i sat through that i generally enjoyed but by the end i started to feel that sense of fatigue with the whole interwoven everything depends on one another film wise
2: did you see it in 3d no i did not okay i only asked because that can contribute to fatigue. yeah no
1: i i don't do 3d once right. i absolutely have to these days so no it's a Again, it's a fun film. Uh, There were some great set pieces. I think, especially in the first 20 minutes, it was a perfect movie at that point. To me, there was like an intro battle scene. That was the perfect way you start out a movie like this. It was a lot more spy and espionage and Hmm. secret missions and all, which was great. It's just when it started to get to the big overdone set pieces at the end, it just kind of lost steam for me.
0: How
2: was um, Chris Evans? You know, I I never really knew of him. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he was in Fantastic Four, was he not?
1: He was, and he's been in a few other movies not big roles in anything else i think he's still perfect for this role I okay mean, he is captain america i feel like he no really nailed it, it in the first one so he holds that up okay. no none of the problems i've got are with any of the cast members okay I mean,
2: How about joe she does okay she's fine i mean <laughs> okay. she knows
1: her part she plays it extremely well nick okay. fury stamp sam jackson sure plays the same part i mean these guys are these characters now so it's not a matter of these. Nobody was bringing their A game and not performing really well acting wise. Robert Redford had a piece a part oh, of the role. Yeah, that's right. a very influential part of the the storyline. How was that? Was it? He's great. I mean, okay, so it didn't
2: look like just cameo for cameo. No, no, no. Anthony okay.
1: Mackie uh, becomes Cap's sidekick in a way. Sam Wilson, okay. the Falcon. Uh, their chemistry is really good between the two of them. A lot of fun banter and just kind of that buddy cop, buddy partner feel that I think really was probably missing from Captain America in the first movie a little bit. He didn't really have somebody to play off of all the time throughout the whole film (coughs) where he did in this one. So acting performance characters. Great. It's just more of the, to me, it was more just the overkill of it all started to get me down.
2: This is, this is a pretty key Mm -hmm. important question. Yes. I'm assuming there is one. How was the Stanley cameo?
1: (laughs) It was fine. Okay. It takes place in the Smithsonian. I think I've mentioned
2: in the past. That's kind of my one like I, I don't like that. I, uh, I, I'm tired of it. It's I'm so tired of it. Now I understand mm. the guy created all this stuff, and you know, cool. But I'm ready for him just to be somebody on a bus that they pan past. Don't give him a line. Don't give him. I think in the Spider-Man movie, like he was in the library in the school, and like stuff was blowing up behind him in the first Spider-Man movie, yeah. uh, and like he didn't know because he had on headphones. I am so <laughs> done with awesome that. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, and the thing, a lot of people really like it, but I'm just, I'm just so done. Cause to me, it's kind of like a, a record scratch moment. You know, it's mm. like, oh, okay, here's the Stanley moment. Okay. Now the movie can get started again. Yeah. So, so there uh, is a cameo.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I'm okay. I kind of feel the same way I did about Alfred Hitchcock cameos. It's kind of that one little, it's a 10 second bit, whatever it may be. Hmm. Yeah. It may pull you out of the movie just for a little bit, but it's so quick. It is so endearing. You know, why not? <laughs> I thought um, <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock's were much better handled. Well, maybe, but that goes without saying, <laughs> uh, I will say a couple more notes on this film. Sure. Uh, this is by a directing duo. Oh, um, Anthony and Joe Russo, the Russo brothers who have typically just done comedies. Huh. And actually they are, uh, have directed episodes of community, the okay. sitcom on, on NBC. Uh, I like the show. Okay. They did a couple other, I think maybe wrote, some comedy movies. I don't know if they've actually done much directing Hmm. given the fact they've never touched action, big sci-fi adventure movies. They were, they they did did an awesome job. job. I mean, the fact is this looked like any other high quality Marvel film. And these are the first time these guys did it. Hmm. There was enough humor in there to keep it light when it needed to be light. I will say one distraction I had though, these guys obviously are very tight with the community TV show and the cast there.
2: Okay. There
1: was a cameo by a character from the community TV show
2: playing the character. No, no
1: playing somebody, a shield agent. Okay. That was for me having known the show, extremely distracting. Kind of like Stanley is worse than Stanley because there's no reason for him to be there other than he just happens to be friends with the directors. Okay. 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 Stanley, he's earned the right to, (laughs) to get 20 seconds in the film. Sure. This guy, I, as soon as I saw him, I said, what in the world? Is this character this guy doing here because he's a very recognizable actor? Okay. So it's not like it just he's an actor for hire. No, it's he's there because the directors are friends with him. And that was frustrating.
2: Now, do you think you know you've said that he did a good job, but one of your criticisms about the film, not criticism, but you said you were getting fatigue. Do you think people who were better skilled maybe in doing action movies would have done a better job pacing or would have,
1: fun, or no, you think it was just I, a story? No, thing? I think it's the fact that Marvel as a corporation has a grand plan for all the storylines have to be going in this fashion and you've got to cover this ground with each movie and you've got to end on this note okay? and it's got to connect with these other ones. I think that's out of their hands as a director. I okay. think it's just, here's the blueprint, make a movie. <laughs> and I think they made the best movie they could given that. Got you. It's just, when you've got 3 or 4 different storylines happening at, at times characters have to be at certain positions by the end of the film to set up the next films right that's what's tiring that's what's just a little overdone and this is coming from somebody who loves this idea of an interconnected movie universe i think it's great it's just after 9 films or so you're starting to i'm starting to get a little exhausted
2: see this is perfect because tonight i'm taking my son to see it he okay. wants to see it and unfortunately he ruined the surprise for me, because he watches the cartoons and reads it, so he know. I know. I think I know what yes. what the surprise is. Yes, Alan's saying yes, but you have lowered my expectations. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're still saying the movies okay. Kind of oh, like no, my I, review. I, of I Noah. think it's a
1: good movie. Okay, I'm not saying even okay. I really okay, enjoyed so the movie. Okay, should maybe be a little
2: higher than that?
1: I just the reviews for this have been through the roof on okay. a lot of movie sites, and I think they're a little overblown. Okay, I think it's a good movie. You are for the so kind of movie setting me up this for is the awesome. kind of movie I like, but. I did come out exhausted.
2: Okay. Well, let's, let's just put it that way. Yeah. That's a good note. And I like, I, I'm excited to go see it now because you've lowered my expectations and I think that's, I'm our, right. that's
1: my job here. Lower, Lower expectations. <laughs> I'm right. I'm right where I need to be to see that. That's great. All right. We are both lowering each other's expectations because I'm now lowered expectation for seeing Noah than I was before but the review. I still see it. I still see it. But, I still yeah. see it, but I was like eh, rock monsters. Really? Okay. All right, so let's move on to our third film, which is one that we have both seen, so we can definitely have a a little more insightful dialogue on both sides on this. It is the documentary Tim's Vermeer.
0: Sometimes when I'm trying to get to sleep, all I can think about is trying to paint a Vermeer, who some consider the greatest painter of all time. At the face of it, that seems almost impossible, because I'm not a painter. I'm a computer graphics guy, and we use technology to make a realistic, beautiful image. Tim and I have been friends for a really long time. I didn't know he had this whole little sub-obsession with Vermeer. I'm looking at this image, and I see something that looks like it came out of a video camera.
1: Tim's Vermeer follows inventor Tim Jenison as he goes on what some may call a very obsessive quest, He is fascinated by the artwork, the paintings of Dutch master Johannes Vermeer to the point where he not just enjoys those paintings, he wants to know how they were done. He is bound to determine that some form of technology of the time, which granted, this was the 16th century. So technology at that point was basically lenses and glass and mirrors and all of that. But he's very, very determined that that's what... Vermeer used to create these very photorealistic looking paintings. Tim is an inventor himself, and Chris, you and I have a little bit of kinship with Mr. Jennison, and that he was the uh, creator of the Video Toaster, which was the very first computerized video editing system that I ever used. I think you may have used as well. I know when you came to maybe work. Maybe
2: he's the one. I mean, I know it was on the toaster. I'm going to say maybe he was the inventor of the Star Wipe.
1: Star Wipe, <laughs> the, the uh, dropping sheet dropping from the yes, sky. Also, yes. And the
2: Kiki Wipe where the girl does the little There you wheel go. Exactly. Popular stuff.
1: Uh, when, when I started into video production within my first year, I invested in a Video Toaster. And that's what I used to make videos. And Chris, you <laughs> learned the Video Toaster toaster as well absolutely we graduated from the video toaster fairly you know within a few years afterwards but it definitely got its its workout with us absolutely tim is the inventor of that along with many other Lightwave 3d uh the tricaster uh podcast video recording systems for television and studios now he's a video guy he's a graphics designer he is a color and motion and all these things expert right so him turning all of his attention to now a very traditional art form like painting, but putting this technology spin to it, wanting to figure out how it was made. So, this documentary basically follows him as he works to try to reproduce Vermeer's approach by taking one of his most famous paintings,
2: which is the music lesson? Yeah, I think it's the music
1: okay. lesson, and taking it and reproducing it using the same tools that he believes Vermeer used at the time. Chris, we, we, we screened this last night for our film society. And I think the biggest thing I got from the crowd afterwards was just the amazement with the level of obsession mm-hmm. that this guy was going through to do this. He spent, he spent years of his life working on it, but he really focused on months every day. Right. To repaint this.
2: Right. Once he figured out a process. Yeah. Right.
1: So Chris, my question to you is this being a documentary being a true story, and it was directed by teller of the pen and teller fame and pen Uh, Penn Gillette was actually the narrator and kind of interviewed a little bit along the way as well. Sure. Did this documentary work for you in terms of helping really understand Tim's passion, his drive? And do you feel like by the end we got the full story that we needed to get from this?
2: I think the film does an excellent job. I feel like of explaining techniques and giving a sense of history as far as theories behind Vermeer and things that were going on in that time, which I wasn't aware of. I mean, I knew mm-hmm. who Vermeer was, but I didn't know all the different paintings. I didn't know. I was not aware that there was this theory that he had used optics yeah. to be able to p- kind of paint like he did. I
1: had no clue either. I
2: had not heard about that. They did a very good job through animations explaining how things would work and explaining things. And I thought that was. Very interesting and very fascinating, um, and they brought in experts as well, uh, people who'd written books. There was a guy named David Stedman who'd written a book, kind of throwing out there, "Hey, Vermeer had done this," and that's Tim Jenison kind of hooked onto that book and was like, "I want to, I want to prove it. Mm-hmm, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to prove it." So that was that was fascinating, and then he also there's a modern painter, David Hockney, who's over in England. And he kind of had, he had also, I think, maybe written a book mm-hmm. and he had him kind of ask him. And so you had these experts kind of validating or saying, yeah, you know, this is probably makes sense. That was all very fascinating. But to answer your question about how I felt about maybe Tim Jennison and what mm-hmm. did I learn about him, frustratingly little, mm-hmm. um, it did a good job of documenting the, the guy Tim reconstructs the studio that Vermeer was going to pay, he reconstructs the room so oh, that yeah. he
1: has the actual objects that he's going to try to paint. He was bound to determine to only use the tools and resources that would have been available to Vermeer back in the 1600s. Right.
2: So he ha- and then because he cannot buy a piece of furniture, he ends up having to make it. Yep. Keep in mind, he says many times, I am not a painter. Mm-hmm. I am not a woodworker. I'm mm-hmm. not. But the gentleman does have money. And mm. he apparently can't take time off work. So that is what he does have. Yeah. And it is amazing the drive and the willingness of him to not cop out. He ends up, he grinds his own pigment to make the yeah. paint. Right. And he doesn't just go out and buy paint, you know, because in the end, all be all. Would it be that important? Well, paint, paint. I don't know. But he's like, nope. Like you said, I'm only going to do. Yeah. Whatever. So that was fascinating. But as far as Tim Jenison himself. I don't feel like I learned a whole lot about him. Uh, There's a very brief part at the beginning where it kind of lets you know, okay, he's an inventor. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it kind of
1: shows you some Uh, of his inventions. Yeah. I think we got a decent sense of a little bit of his background that leads him to be interested in this field. Right. But I'm with you. I, I I really enjoyed the documentary. I thought it was really good. I thought more than anything, it's just the subject matter was fascinating. The, The, the procedural feel of, Let's go from start to finish and show this man's project that he's working on. And it did a great job of documenting the project and the process, like right. you said. I'm with you though. My one big hang up is that I still by the end of the film don't understand why this man spent this much of his life trying to prove this. And it, you
2: know, you're left to kind of infer. I mean, I would infer, but in documentary, you usually don't infer. They they tell you, they explain things. I inferred that this was something he was an inventor. He liked challenges. One of the big things that he explained that he did would be to kind of tear apart things and figure out how they worked. He yeah. apparently learned how to play swing music mm-hmm. by like slowing down the rolls on a player piano. Yep. And so so okay, but it would have been I guess appreciated by both you and me if they had said like or he had said, "I am not a painter, but I'm fascinated by this use of technology and my whole thing is I want to prove because I'm interested in technology, like, you know, just to kind of have a general statement of why, because otherwise why? And they didn't, yeah. they didn't really explain that. Now,
1: and also, it I was, don't- yeah, it was hinted at that, you know, he wanted to prove that technology was used because then he feels like there's more of a kinship right. with Vermeer. If Vermeer was a geek, basically, which is something he said early on in the film, if, if Vermeer's a geek and he's got a kinship with him and he feels that I get that. And that's enough for me to want to learn about something, right. But to spend every day for months on end, working on this. I still didn't understand the obsession.
2: Well, and I I think that's what, I think what you and I are saying, I think we're definitely on the Mm. same page is we learned a lot about the process. Oh yeah. And it was very interesting and fascinating. But what I was left with on either side of it, I didn't learn a lot about Tim Jenison and also me not being a big art person. I didn't know a lot about Vermeer either. And I still don't. And well, I feel, but now apparently they do say in the film, not a lot was known about his yes, I, I don't think
1: anybody knew much about him. I'm okay with not knowing much about Vermeer because I think that was part of the intrigue of the film is that they're trying to piece together what may have been, what Vermeer may have been doing without having any documentation anywhere that would show anything. But I am with you that I just felt like I still, there's a gap about Tim Jenison. I still don't get, and it's more the mental thinking of why to do this. I understand what he's doing and I understand the process he's going through. I didn't understand the why as much as I felt like I should for a film that's very detailed in the process, you know? Yeah.
2: How did, did you, how did you feel about uh Penn being in the movie as much I, as he was? I was fine
1: with it. I really was because in a way it was, he's got a great voice. He does. So narrating it was awesome. And he's interviewed a couple of times, but he made it very clear. He and he and Tim are friends. He's followed Tim for many, many years. So he's somebody who could comment on Tim's frame of mind a little bit more. I actually probably learned a little bit more about Tim from Penn's interviews than I yeah. did from Tim himself.
2: Right. And I think that would have been an interesting comment and made you have a bit more insight into Tim. I got the feeling Tim wasn't interested on in talking about anything other than the, yeah. and Penn had to kind of, he's the one who's responsible for describing his early life and for kind of piecing things together. And without Penn, it probably wouldn't have worked, but it True. was kind of distracting because Tim Jennison seemed to be so closed on only talking about the
1: painting, which I also think that's probably which the kind of person a he is. Right. I think that's Shows the kind of person he is. It's just for us watching for an hour, 20 minutes, somebody's obsessive, uh, just focus on this project and to be willing to spend this many days, every single day to this painstaking detail. I just never understood why, right. you know, and there was an emotional moment towards the end. We're not going to spoil how the film ends, whether or not he actually does set out to do what he wants to do, but he does get emotional yeah. towards the end about having some closure on something with the project.
2: And did that come as a surprise to you?
1: Yeah, it was a real surprise. It was kind of in
2: the theater that were with me. There were some people that were generally like, Oh, oh wow. Like, he does yeah. have an emotion. So
1: right. yeah. So I know that's more of him as a personality, but I just, I just wanted to know that one question why you know you can't just say i wanted to prove something there's got to be a deeper reason than just i wanted to prove that i'm right about this anyway uh, there's i I don't want to distract from the film because i really liked the film i enjoyed watching it i thought it was a really well-made documentary i thought the style the music the use of the the paintings themselves were just really well done i just was left with that one big lingering question at the end you know
2: sure well what they throw out kind of a a question An artist versus a scientist. And yeah. Tim Jennison is obviously not necessarily a scientist, but he's a technologist and
1: mm-hmm.
2: so more along the lines of a scientist. And he says himself, I'm not a painter. Right. But then it's this whole concept of, I think Penn Gillette is the narrator the one who throws it out. Artists versus scientists, or can't they be one and the same? Yeah. Can't you be both? How did you feel about how the movie presented that? And
1: Oh, I think, I that? think it does a good job of not beating you over the head with this concept, but yet you figure it out by the end because a lot of the questions you're left with, which I think intentionally so are, okay, if this guy is basically reproducing someone else's work using tools and technology, that sounds like just pure technology, a pure technical you know, uh, process. But as you're watching him for all these months, you're realizing there is still artistry involved. To me, it's, it really showcases that art and science are together. Sure. To do something scientific, there's got to be the creative process, the art involved. For him to figure out how to recreate this mechanism to make this painting – that is an art, you know, it may be rooted in science, but it is an art. Who's not to say that Vermeer was not a pure scientist and just found a way to perfectly reproduce a living scene onto a canvas, which is what kind of the argument was, right. is that he wasn't really a traditional artist that you would think that he could just look at something and find a way expressively to put it on a canvas. The argument was that, no, this guy just had an elaborate system of lenses and mirrors to where he could perfectly reproduce what he sees onto a piece of paper. Almost make it like a photograph, right? In a way, that's still an art. I mean, there is an art to it, and I think when uh, Tim towards the end of the film comments on how you know people try to feel like you got to be in one camp or the other, sure. I think he's right on saying it's not. I mean, you are you are a blend. If you are a digital animator, you are just as much an artist as you are a technician. If you are uh, if you are a, an artist, you're still having to think through geometry and layout and motion and things to make something happen. I think they're very well intertwined. And I think this film did a great job of helping illustrate just how, how true that is.
2: Something this film made me think of towards the end, you know, the concept of trying to reproduce a piece of art. And it made me think of the movie F is for fake Orson Welles. And, And, you know, that movie is interesting in itself, but it talks about forgeries Mm -hmm. and kind of what's more important that you like a piece of art or that it was real or that it was painted by this person. It's like, if you like it, you like it. Does it matter how it was made? Because there was criticism within the movie talking about, you know, you're exposing or suggesting that this artist used a mechanical means to do something. But does that matter? Does that make it less art? And I think those are all interesting questions and if you like something you like it you well know? i
1: mean i kind of look at it like uh you know when we my wife and i first got married we got into our first house <clears throat> we uh we didn't have money to go out and buy really true artwork sure all of our artwork was basically reproductions mm-hmm. of famous art pieces that you could buy at you know Michaels for like 10 bucks or whatever and get it framed and you know you look at those and i mean some people could say well it's not the real piece of art so it's not really art but it's like we're still looking at it and enjoying what we see in the sure. picture Sure. So it's one of those things where same kind of question is that, you know, and somebody takes a photograph. I love looking at photography. Okay, well, the person doing the photograph didn't go and figure out how to make that picture show up on a digital print. Right. They just looked at something and used a tool to snap it and record it and then present it back to the world. And people love it. Right. You know, it's like, so you kind of get away from the tools that are being used in more of a what is it? How does it speak to you in whatever format it comes out? So Tim, with this painting, and if if he finishes the painting, he could have something that he could still be very proud of. Sure. Even though you could argue that it, all it is is just a photocopy of somebody else's work. Right. But then you could argue that Vermeer was just taking a photograph of a real life scene. Right. So it really does pose a lot of questions. It's an interesting dialogue to have, but I think it definitely shows that that world of technology and art are m- a lot more blended than we real- remember sometimes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was it definitely put forth that thought, and it was it was fascinating. I will say I could tell, or I felt like I could tell, that um, this was an early film, or like it was made by Penn and Teller. That it was um, some of the technical things. There's a interview that happens with Tim in England where he's standing oh, out under mm-hmm. some trees. and The focus was really bad. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> and that kind of you know I was like, well, and maybe that was intentional, but I don't think it's. I, but that lets you know that like you know, basically it's Tim's friends standing around making this movie and it was a smaller budget. So that was, that was interesting and not something. And
1: actually, you know, in fairness, I think there was just that one time where I was well, like, well, there was some audio issues on a couple of interviews too, or a couple of scenes where we're supposed to be hearing people talk and obviously they weren't mic'd. I got you. Uh, they was using like a, uh, an onboard camera or something, mic. So there are a couple of little technical things that, yeah, you could see that, you know, uh, there were a few little gaps here and there, but what I had to keep reminding myself is they're documenting this process
2: for a long time. time. I think, was it 2008?
1: Well, that's when it technically started, but you know, as far as him actually sitting down to try to paint, right. That was like a four and a half month process every day for hours on end. Right. So just trying to document this in general and actually make it a cohesive story when, yeah, you got a lot of footage, but trying to figure out how to boil this whole process down to an hour, 20 minutes, I think it was done really well. So Uh, you know I I can forgive the little out-of-focus parts and the bad sound quality in some parts because just everything else about it was so fascinating to watch. Sure. It did exactly what a good documentary ought to do is it ought to have you talking afterwards. And there was some great dialogue after our screening last night about the things we were just talking about, the art versus science, the – is it real if it's just a reproduction? Is it just as powerful? You know, a lot of good questions that any good documentary should be able to elicit from somebody, and it definitely did that. Absolutely. Good. Well, that is Tim's Ramir. Um All three films we talked about should be ones that you could find somewhere. Tim's Ramirez is going to be a little harder to find, probably not going to find it at the multiplex nearby. Uh, I would imagine it probably will be video on demand before too long if it's not already. Uh, of course, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and Noah are both still in the movie theaters as we as we record this. Right. Um, so all three are getting positive reviews from us to different varying degrees, but overall <laughs> generally positive on all three fronts, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, great. So three good movies to go check out if you find any of them to be kind of in your wheelhouse of interest level. All right. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, Chris, we're going to do a quick little news recap on our last day of the River Run Film Festival from last weekend. Uh, that we didn't get to cover in our special podcast episode we released last week. And then we're going to wrap up with our online recommendations of films we think people may have missed or need to check out. So stay tuned for Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back. Baseball is back, and the Hickory Crawdads have an exciting season ahead. Join the dads for weekly promotions such as Dollar Day,
2: Fireworks Fridays, and of course, Thirsty Thursday. The Crawdads will also host the South Atlantic League All-Star Game on June 17th. Regular season and All-Star Game tickets are now on sale and available at the Crawdads box office or HickoryCrawdads.com.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films with Alan and Chris. Uh, We had our first uh, section of the show was all about the movie reviews we did. Let's change gears a little bit, Chris, and kind of go back one week where we were at the River Run Film Festival in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, for the weekend, enjoying some very interesting films and getting to take part in the festival circuit a bit. We put out an episode last week, kind of a special episode, where we did a recap of some of the films we saw on the first couple days we were there. But we were there an extra day. We recorded on a Saturday evening. We still had Sunday films to go see. So between the two of us, we saw three additional films on that Sunday. So I figured let's just take a quick minute and talk about each of the three that we saw. And give our impressions of those. That way we can completely close out all the films we saw during the uh, the River Run experience that weekend. Okay. Sound good? Sounds good. Good. I'll go ahead and go first because I saw two on the day. So let me mention the two I saw. The first one I saw was a film Siddharth. Uh, it is a uh, from India. And uh, it is all about a... Uh, A family, uh, I think there's a husband, wife, and two kids, if I remember correctly. The movie starts out in the very first scene where you see the father is basically sending his son off on a bus to somewhere else. And you come to find out that what he's done is he sent his son to somewhere to work. Okay. Uh, The family is very poor. They're having a hard time making ends meet. So he ends up sending his son to a job that is in another city. Uh, The son, I believe, is 12 or 13. So not very old child, but, uh, but gone, uh, the, the family waits for him to return. He's supposed to return back in 30 days, 30 days passes. He still doesn't show up. Mm. This is a country where you don't have all the technology communication forms that we have. So they're really waiting just to see when the kid shows back up. It's not a matter of texting back and forth and seeing where the kid is. It's really, they haven't heard from him in a week. So they're just watching every day to see when he shows up gotcha. from the bus stop and he does it. So then the film becomes a travelogue where this, the father is basically taking upon himself to go and visit places and try to figure out where his son may be. Their fear is that he has been abducted. Hmm. Their fear is that he's you know, uh, a, a, a victim of child trafficking. Uh, and you basically go through a grueling hour and a half with that exploration going on wow. and the toil that this is taking on the father, his wife and their other child as well. It is a very, very well-made film, okay. beautiful cinematography, very good acting from the lead roles. But I'll tell you what, I don't need to see this film again. <laughs> it's, a <one-timer, laughs> it's a one-timer, it's a one-timer film. Uh, the director is Richie Mehta. And I, like I said, it's stunning to look at at times. I mean, I, this is probably the most in-depth feel I got for India. Hmm. In watching a film that I've ever had. Okay. And you know, we've seen some films from India. I've seen several and they were all very good in showing me different parts of the culture. This is the first one where I really walked out saying I really felt like I was there. Okay. Um scenery was great, just the use of locals in the area and other people in the in the environment was great. Um it was just man, it was a very tough, grueling film to watch. So I'll leave it at that. I mean it probably hits us as fathers more than More more than not. But I think anybody would come away from this film just emotionally drained Hmm. and uh, probably not very satisfied at the end of the film either. I'll say that without trying to spoil too much. But it is one that you walk away with very surprised at the direction it takes at the end or the decisions that are made. I'll leave it at that. So that's Siddharth. I think it's a good film and I think it's worth checking out for people who really like cinema and especially from another culture like India. But I will say it's it's a one timer for me and it is a it is a tough watch by the end so okay. yeah. so what 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 did you see on Sunday? Well, I got
2: to see a film called Hank and Asha, mm-hmm. and it's a comedy romance um and it's I, I what's unique about it um you know it's typical romance type movie you know you have two people and they're far apart and they learn about each other and start to get to know each other. What makes it unique is that they're both film students and One, the girl is in Prague Mm -hmm. and the guy is in New York city and they end up communicating strictly by like video letters that they send to one another. And that is, that is the entire movie. Mm -hmm. And it's really unique because, you know, and it's, you know, it's a 75 minute movie, but it is only those two actors. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of weight put on. His shoulders. So really,
1: that's the only two people that act in the And on film. her shoulders. Wow. yes. And
2: it's them addressing a video camera. Okay. And, you know different points. And you know that to me, if you would have just told me that summary, it sounds like a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that going into this movie. I didn't know that that's what I knew it was supposed to be a you know a comedy or what. But that's that's all I knew. And I was surprised. You know, with it basically, you hear about found footage movies like Cloverfield or mm-hmm. things like that, and that sounds if you were to say, Oh, it's a found footage movie kind of about these people writing video letters. That sounds horrible mm-hmm. to me. Absolutely yeah. horrible. Sure. But it's not, i I liked this movie and what really carries it basically are the two actors. Mm. Um,
1: well, it's going to have to it sounds right. like, cause right. if they don't I mean, work, you know, right. everything falls apart. So.
2: And the, uh, Andrew Pastides is from uh, North Carolina school of the arts. So he's actually a alum from where we were watching the festival. And mm. so He's in it, and then a girl called Mahira Kakar, she plays the the Indian student that's in Prague, Mm -hmm. and she is amazing as well. And she's got kind of this energy that I don't really know how to explain, kind of like an Audrey Hepburn kind of like bouncy, buoyancy energy, Mm -hmm. or maybe Marilyn Or I don't know. But she's got so much charisma and energy that she she really helps – keep the film going, so I would definitely recommend that um more than a one timer I guess is a good okay thing well, good,
1: that. yeah, and it's good to kind of couch something a little light because my two films are both pretty heavy, so that's good. we got a light one in the middle there, a little lighter anyway, right, and it the, was the
2: I believe it's the first film by the director who's uh he wrote it and directed it and produced it with his wife, and she was the editor apparently, and his name is James Duff, hmm.
1: so it was somebody to look out for then so yeah i would on.
2: I would say so.
1: Well, my last film of the film festival was uh, a Polish film okay. called Ida, and it's directed by Paweł Lewkowski. Okay. And uh, what we have here is we have a story of a young, uh, young nun who's about to take her vows uh, to become, I guess, an official nun. I, I, okay. don't know the, I don't know the terminology very good, but she lives in a, a – uh, I guess in the – where do nuns live?
2: That convent is just a monastery. There we go. Right.
1: Okay, great. Got it. Thank you. Appreciate that, Chris. <laughs> um, this takes place back, back in 1962, and she's about to uh, take take on her vows. But before she does, Mother Superior basically lets her know that she has to go and learn more about her family. Because supposedly, he <laughs> wow. doesn't know anything about the family, her own family really? uh, history. Right. Okay. So that's kind of pushing her out into the world a little bit. So you've got to go do this before we feel like you can really commit to us
2: start spinning around on the top of a mountain and like befriend a family and teach them how to sing.
1: No, this is quite the opposite. So um, basically what she did, the whole movie takes place. Really? She leaves uh, the convent and she meets her aunt and aunt Wanda is the only name that she was given as far as a connection point. Hmm. And so aunt Wanda tells Ida a lot more about her family history. That is very different than what Ida probably expected. It was, not only where she came from, but who family was and all that. Okay. So that's one part of the story. The other part of the story is the fact that Aunt Wanda is very much the opposite type of person than Ida. Ida is very reserved, very quiet. Obviously, she's been living in a convent all of her life. Sure. Aunt Wanda was a uh, – I think she was a litigator in the in the government. She was known as Red Wanda because she sent so many people to the firing squad. She was a very uh, hard nails litigator and judge okay. in their time. But now she's a kind of alone woman. She's very uh, sexually active. She hmm. drinks and smokes. So the two of them... It sounds very cliche the way I'm describing it, but they basically take a road trip together. Hmm. And it sounds like it could be a comedy, and it's absolutely not a comedy. But these two people very opposite, being around each other, taking this exploration to learn more about Edith's family, which is taking a dark turn in the story she's hearing about her family. Hmm. That's That's the film in a nutshell. I will say... I liked it. Uh, It's another one of those tougher films, not quite as depressing as Sid Earth was, but still not an uplifting film. The thing that really got this thing going was the fact that it is a black and white film. Shot black and white, 35 millimeter. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful film. And that alone, right away, I could watch this film over and over again just because of that, because that is honestly just amazing. So that alone is really what makes thing make this whole film work for me is the fact that it's this blue black and white for cinematography, really interesting shot composition, and the acting, especially the young girl playing Ida, Agata uh, uh was really impressive and very good uh, all the way through. So you mentioned it was shot like nineteen
2: sixty or supposed to take place in. It takes place in nineteen sixty two. It's so, a new film, but okay, right. So the the reasoning behind that, I guess, was because of the subject matter that was happening in the country needed to take, I was just wondering like, okay, it's black and white, but was it supposed to take place in 62 because they needed to take elements from history to kind of weave or like, yeah. why couldn't it have been modern day? There they, are some,
1: there are some historical elements okay. that needed to weave into there. Okay. Uh, some of her connection to Poland, obviously uh, Poland okay. with its its okay. own history sure. from world war two. Uh, okay. There's a lot connected with that. I think the timing made sense for where it needed to be in, in the 1960s. So again, not a terribly uplifting film, sure. um, but beautiful to watch. Okay. I thought it was well acted uh, and it did hold my attention. It was something I, I wouldn't mind seeing again because okay. there's a lot of points of it that I would probably pick up more in the early part of the film that I wouldn't have noticed uh, the first time around. So <laughs> okay. that's Eda, which I do recommend to people to check out. Uh, it sounds like Hank and Asha, you are recommending as yes. well. Yes. Siddharth, I'm recommending only if you want to see a beautifully shot film in India, Uh, otherwise if you want a positive uplifting story no this is not the one (laughs) so um three films there that we that kind of wrapped up our river run experience there overall chris the film festival the films you saw this year maybe compared to last year overall quality was it uh Better or worse? Kind of the same as it was from what you have last year? Both
2: years year. were good, but I think overall I, had a, I varied up my menu, so to mm-hmm, speak, mm-hmm. more this year. And so I think I had a better festival experience okay.
1: this good. year. Yeah, good. I, I, I'm the same way. I think the overall quality of films I saw this year was even better okay. than last year. And uh, really, I, I think I saw seven films tonight, okay. maybe at the festival, and only one of them was one I just didn't like. The okay. rest I liked all the other films or at least found enough to appreciate in them. Sure. Good. So that's river run. We're officially done with that as well. We'll Mm -hmm. wait till next year to visit again, hopefully, and uh, maybe visit another film festival somewhere else later in the year too. There's a lot in North Carolina, which is great for us to have uh, several good ones pretty close by to go check out.
2: Sure. I mean, if someone wants to send us to Cannes or something
1: like that or Sunday, go right ahead. All of our our great sponsors (laughs) and listeners, I'm sure you you guys can just send the money in. We'll take care of that, and we will be very happy to represent you at some of these, uh, the Toronto Film Festival or Cannes or anywhere else. Absolutely. Well, Chris, let's wrap up the show with our last part like we always traditionally do and talk about – uh, films, movies that maybe uh flew under the radar for people or ones that maybe just have forgotten about uh, ones we can find online something to if somebody's looking for an idea of something to watch, maybe our recommendations can help them out. so what do you got first Chris? well,
2: I'm going to recommend a film that came out in twenty twelve um the film wrong wrong yeah, and i'm sure okay. you, I'm sure you know this because you were probably highly anticipating it because it was the follow up film. To from rubber. rubber,
1: oh, I know where you're yes. going with this. And
2: it's uh, Quentin DePew, It's his follow-up <sighs> film, and uh, I, you know, I went to watch it, or I wanted to looked it up and saw it was out on Netflix. Got really excited. Um, it's also available on iTunes, um, but I, I was really excited to see it on Netflix, and I had wanted to catch up with it because I enjoyed Rubber, as we've talked about on uh, maybe our first episode. I can't remember; it was a mm. while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really liked it and yeah. liked what it had to say. And this uh, film is more of an outright comedy, I guess you could say, but it's a very surrealist comedy. And the the story is that a guy wakes up one morning and he's lost his dog and he loves this dog. So then the dog's name is Paul Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he spends the rest of the movie trying to find Paul. Okay. I was not familiar with the main actor who played in it. Jack Plotnick's his name. He plays the main character whose name is Dolph. Um, but who gives a really good, strange turn in the movie is William Finkner.
1: Oh. And he
2: plays Master Chang. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, I didn't know he was in the movie. Yeah,
2: and he's I really, really like good. Him. And it's not just a cameo, too, because he plays a pretty important, pretty important role. And hmm. he does such a good job. Like, I've always you know, liked him, thought he was okay, but in this movie I was just like, wow, he was really good. Better something. than he was
1: in The Lone Ranger?
2: Uh I mean I thought he was good in that. That's kind of a joke. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean he he's given something to really chew on. Yeah. You know, like if this was a better known movie, this would be like a role of a lifetime because it's mm. such a good role for him wow. to have. Um I really like this movie. Yes, it's kind of it's very odd, uh has strange types of humor to it. Yeah. Um, but if you
1: liked, that's really weird. Cause rubber was so straightforward so normal, and traditional. I mean,
2: right. Um, if you liked rubber check out wrong, um, I loved this movie and wow. I don't know, he's, he's 2 I've only seen two of his films, so I'm looking forward to whatever he may do next. I,
1: I saw rubber when, when you reviewed it <laughs> a couple of years ago and, right? uh, it's an experience. I'll tell you what, but I did, even though I found myself puzzled, very puzzled most of the film, I did admire what, it was doing at least trying something new and doing something very inventive. So I did like that.
2: Well, and I'll say um, for those who did, have not been with us since the beginning, our first episode, Rubber, was about a killer tire.
1: Yeah, a tire. A tire. Like a, tire a, off car of a tire. Car tire mm-hmm. that rolls
2: around and is able to kill people. Through telekinesis. Yeah, telekinesis. Yes. yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So a serial killer tire.
1: So if that tells you anything about the tone of the film that Chris is referring to. (laughs) Right. There you go.
2: Um, So that was that movie. And then this movie's, I I would say the script or the ideas in this movie are a little tighter, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it makes for maybe a tighter movie for those who like a more conventional story, if you could call this conventional. But um, it just has a very Lynch perspective with like a Monty Python type humor. (laughs) It's Mm. it's a very bizarre mix. But uh, I, I say check it out. Wrong. Wrong is the name.
1: of Got it. All right. Well, I'm going to take a complete detour and do something a little different because normally we recommend a certain particular film or anything. I'm actually going to recommend four short films. Okay. Because this year we had the pleasure of being involved, our film society in a international film festival for kids. Right. We showed two hours worth of very short films from all different countries around the world. And, uh, I'll I'll be honest, I man, granted, I was, uh, you and I kind of helped curate the films, so we kind of did our screenings and picked out the ones we liked. Sure. We picked out a really good list, because I tell you, some of these films are absolutely wonderful. And I'm going to mention four of them okay. that are all available on YouTube. So all you got to do is search for the name of it, and you can watch them for free. And I think they're well worth your time, ranging in length from six minutes to 14 minutes. You're not looking at anything that's going to take up a whole lot of your time. There's one from the United States called Love Bug. Okay. Uh, six minutes long, great little film. Uh, about a kid named Turtle who's building up the courage to ask out a girl in his class to the spring dance, just really well made and funny and something that a lot of kids responded to in our audience very well. we've got a film uh from Argentina, which was personally my favorite called Luminaris okay and this is one that's a very odd little film. uh A lot of the kids we showed it to were a little puzzled, but that's okay <laughs> there's it follows a, a young man that works in a light bulb factory where the light bulbs are made by swallowing a little marble and the marble then grows out of his mouth as a light bulb. And then the, his partner somehow uses her eyes to put light into the light bulb.
2: Okay. You're ragging on rubber, but yet you like this short. Yeah. Film. yeah okay. I,
1: I, hey, I'm just trying to match your <laughs> uniqueness of the No, style, I, right?
2: I am a fan of those. That yeah. Film as well. uh,
1: it's a fun little film called Luminaris and uh, that's from Argentina uh, the Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore from the United States is an animated film with no dialogue. Actually, Luminaris didn't have any dialogue either. And Luminaris was shot in a way where it was like stitching together photographs. So it wasn't following fluid motion. It was watching, you know, somebody was walking down the street and you would just see them standing still and just perpetually they were moving down the street because it was just stitched together frames.
2: Do you know if um, The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore was that nominated for an Oscar? <laughs>
1: I got to think it probably was, because like it was a I re- fascinating little film. I feel like
2: I remember the title, because yeah. I think it's relatively new. And
1: it's a really good short film, too. Uh, all computer animated. Um, but man, what a good story, and just very emotional at the end as well. And then the, the crowd favorite of all the kids was a little short film from Portugal called Three by Three. Uh, okay. But a little basketball sparring match between a, a janitor and a night watchman at a Probably a YMCA or school or something like that. So, I wanted to mention those four films because they are all on YouTube. They're all ones you can watch for free. And they're just really great little films for the whole family. It doesn't have to be for the kids. I mean, I enjoy all four of these. So, uh, we had such a blast showing two hours worth of films to all the kids in the middle schools around our area here this week, exposing them to a lot of great different cultures and different filmmaking styles. My son, who was in the audience for one of the sessions, said that several of his friends were telling him afterwards that they were. We're going to start making films and getting nice. ideas. I'm like, awesome. "Hey, that is awesome!" Then that we 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 accomplished our goal at that point. So that's four films: uh, Love Bug, Luminaris, Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore, and Three by Three are the four of the twelve that we showed that I think are really the, the highlights of the, of you the said festival. All of those were available, and they YouTube? are okay. absolutely. You can go online and see. I think all four of them in their entirety right
2: now, if I remember correctly. Um, the intern has just notified me that it did win the Academy Award for short film, the flying books of Mr. Great. Perfect. Then that's
1: even more reason to go seek that one out. So it's a very good film. So I kind of cheated a little bit. I did four, but you know, I feel like combined watching time is still less than wrong.
2: (laughs) True. It, it is. That's true.
1: There you go. All right, Chris, well, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. We had our reviews of Noah, Captain America, and Tim's Vermeer positive reviews on all three. Uh, not outstanding glowing reviews on all three, but generally positive from all three standpoint, I think. I
2: think we were bigger fans of Tim's premiere.
1: Probably so, more because the, the style and the, and the concept was a, was a much deeper one as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about our recap of the River Run Film Festival, the last three films that we saw of that, of that festival that weekend we were there. And then we had our recommendations, Chris's, very bizarre film, Wrong, and my four short films that are good for kids families adults everybody that you ought to check out so with that we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's show Chris unless there's anything we're missing no I think we got
2: it Uh, we are you know visit our website footcandle.org for more information about the film society and then also Alan I as I kind of mentioned we both have accounts on letterbox you can kind of keep up with what we're doing there
1: yeah the letterbox to search for alan jackson or chris fry and connect with us we'd love to have you connect with us there on twitter i know i'm at alan jackson as well and you are at chris Fry. see we got lucky and got our first and last (laughs) name so it's nice and clean Uh, and of course bookkindle.org is the website where we post everything like chris said about the film society uh it's a lot of different ways to connect with us we'd love to hear from you feedback questions thoughts agree or disagree on any of these films we always like to encourage the uh, the discussion so with that we're going to wrap it up for today we'll be back next time with more reviews news and recommendations for foot candle films i'm alan i'm chris
2: see you in the ticket special
0: thanks to carpal Toller for the show theme music For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv discover our other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard